This is Policy on Purpose, a podcast produced by the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. We take you behind the scenes of policy with the people who help shape it. For more, visit lbj.utexas.edu. For the next installation of our resiliency discussion, we're going to explore global development priorities for the Biden administration in a post-COVID world. I am joined by my LBJ colleagues, professors Kate Weaver, Will Bowden, and Patrick Bixler. Welcome, Kate, Will, and Patrick. Will, let's start with you. How much has COVID changed the global order? Sure, Stephen. It certainly has changed it, but not as profoundly as a lot of people thought it might be. Of course, it's still a little bit early to tell, but um, the way uh, foreign policy uh, uh, strategists think about these things is when a crisis comes along, does it cause a major continuity, a discontinuity where it totally changes the direction of the world, or rather does it accelerate pre-existing trends? And the big discontinuities we look at are like the end of World War One and the Spanish flu crisis, which you know totally disrupted and, uh, and dissolved a number of empires, or the end of World War II, uh, or the end of the Cold War. Those are what we look at as major disruptions and discontinuities. And we haven't really been seeing that with, with COVID. Rather, if you look at, if you take a snapshot of the world as it was in December of 2019, on a lot of the big geopolitical trends, those have just been accelerated and continued. And so the world of you know, January 2021, uh, you still have US-China competition, you still have tensions between the US and Russia, you still have climate change as a major issue, you're still having a global erosion in democracy, you still have uh, populist and protectionist sentiments uh, around the world. And so COVID has accelerated and exacerbated a lot of these, but it hasn't totally disrupted the world the way that we the way that we thought it would be. Kate, anything that you'd add to, to Will's comments? Yeah, I would I agree with all of Will's points. Um, it's a slightly different picture for developing countries and emerging market economies where the COVID pandemic has had uh, a, a much more dire threat to stability and security in these countries. So in particular, what we've seen um, as the effects of COVID is a massive economic downturn, which of course hits states that are in more fragile um, economic um, conditions. So we've got many countries that are on the brink of debt crises, as we talk about in our essay, but also we've got dramatically rising levels of food insecurity, reduced access to education, and then some very alarming trends in the increases of uh, forced child labor and early childhood marriage. Um, so this is all wrapping up to be a development crisis that is emerging in the wake of the COVID pandemic, um, You know, alerting us to the fact that this is not just a global health crisis, it's actually a holistic development problem. Yeah. Uh, Patrick, any other, any other thoughts that you'd add to, to Will or Kate's comments? Yeah, just that... There are some parallels if you think about um, the disproportionality of the economic recession domestically. Um, you know, some certain populations are being hit um, much harder by the recession, uh, by the lack of jobs, uh, than other growing economic divide um, as a result of the COVID 19 pandemic across the country. Uh, Pat, thanks for that. Um, Kate, I want to turn to your work, um, particularly the, the piece that you wrote for our toolkit, uh, which explores COVID's impact on developing countries um, and the looming debt crisis um, that many of them are facing. 
why is it important for the U.S. to take on this issue now when we have so much other um, issues on our plate? Uh, yeah, I think it's very important for the U.S. and the Biden administration to pay attention to this now because what you don't want is another uh, great debt crisis, global debt crisis exploding the world. We've already had several of these, as we know, from the 1980s on, and the conditions are quite ripe for um, domestic debt crises and most developing emerging market economies to spill over into financial contagion. So in order to prevent the next great financial crisis, it's very important for the U.S. to lead international efforts in debt relief and restructuring right now to prevent this outcome. And Patrick, uh, similarly, you wrote um, that the COVID impact has had some really uh, impacts on the way that we've approached or will approach the climate crisis going forward. What are some of those thoughts or lessons learned that we can look for from the COVID impact uh, globally that uh, will maybe teach us some thoughts on how to address uh, the uh, issues around climate change in the future? Yeah, so the, the pandemic has emphasized the disproportionate risks and burdens, um, and really the negative consequences that long-term stressors have. So when we think about climate change, we think about the shocks in terms of natural hazards or long-term stressors. And increased global warming, global heat. Um, and disproportionate effects really fall on those who are most vulnerable. Um, that social vulnerability lens uh, is a commonly used framework. And it turns out a lot of the same um, communities that are impacted by COVID 19 uh, will be those communities that are most impacted by climate change. So uh, trying to find that sweet spot where you can build resilience in um, uh, certain aspects, certain communities in the population. Um, can really have multiple benefits. So, Will, as we sort of look to the future, new administration here in, um, in, in, in the United States and sort of looking at the question of foreign policy and domestic develop, uh, global development, but also climate change, you know, what are the main challenges that you see that the Biden administration faces on a uh, foreign policy front? Well, boy, Stephen, it, it would almost take us all day. I mean, the Biden administration has a very, very full inbox, as as we as we would say. Uh, I think we'd probably have to go back to 1980 when the Reagan administration took office, you know, 40 years ago, to see a similarly broad array of really severe challenges that an incoming presidency faces. I mean, just to tick off the highlights, uh, obviously, uh, severe and growing tensions between the U.S. and China. Um, major uh, tensions between the U.S. and Russia, especially with you know the Russia's sol solar solar winds hack and um, and the, ar the arrest of Alexei Navalny, um, uh, certainly a, a growing uh, crisis in the U.S.-Iran relationship, especially as Iran is uh, you know restarting its nuclear its uranium enrichment program. Uh, signs from the North Koreans about uh, another missile test or another nuclear test, perhaps. Oh, and then there's also a global economic recession uh, and, and, a, and, a and a global pandemic. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a very significant set of challenges. Fortunately, this is a very capable team of the Biden team, and they know what they're, what they're getting into, and they've been preparing for this for, for, for quite a while. So those are um, a, a large list of challenges. What opportunities do you see? Any sort of opportunities to build towards the future? Yeah, well, that's the good news. Uh, the flip side of this is, you know, with, for every crisis, there, there's hopefully an opportunity lingering in it. And a few that I will highlight, uh, uh, one, just at the really big picture level, they have a chance to um, kind of recapture and revitalize uh, America's image and soft power in the world. Uh, they've already been taking some significant steps on that, whether it's rejoining the WHO or the, the Paris, Paris Climate Accords. Um, 
uh, or just re-engaging with our allies, you know, rebuilding our alliances, which were severely frayed over the last couple of decades. It started uh, started under Bush and then Obama, and of course was accelerated under uh, under Trump, but a chance to uh, revitalize America's alliances um, and uh, a chance to show some leadership on the COVID response. I mean, it's significant that most of the emerging vac- you know, new vaccines that are coming online and being developed were developed um, uh, largely by American companies, of course, with global co- global cooperation, uh, multinational cooperation. But uh, but again, just as the U.S. Um, last year had you know one of the worst COVID responses in in the world, uh, which was you know very damaging to our country, and of course very damaging to our image. We're now seeing uh, the U.S. is showing some real leadership with solutions to the to the COVID crisis. So there are a lot of opportunities for the Biden team. Yeah, so our technology, science, and innovation for the U.S. has really stepped up to maybe help us repair our image, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and not just producing that, but then you know sharing it with sharing it with the world. Yeah, Kate. So building off Will's comments, what what are the chances in the U.S. for uh, bipartisan efforts to uh, tackle? global development issues like the debt crisis? Um, I think there are a lot of opportunities right now, and I'm quite optimistic. So, for example, in foreign aid policy, we've actually historically seen a a higher level of bipartisan effort than we have seen in other policy sectors. So, um, in the past, Trump has tried to cut foreign aid by about 30% a year, but surprisingly, Congress has come back with a Republican-Democrat consensus to maintain at least um, status quo levels of foreign aid. So with a Democrat-led Congress, we're actually likely to see an increase in foreign aid. Um, um, One of the things I'm most worried about, however, is that there is this growing movement for more economic autarky with respect to uh, distribution of the vaccine globally. This morning, we see that the European Union is considering legislation to block the distribution of vaccines outside of the EU. Um, And there's chances that this will be part of the U.S. discourse as well. So there's a great opportunity to to pay more attention to foreign aid and increase resources. But um, in this critical area of vaccine distribution, we may have some significant hurdles to overcome. Yeah, and so to get over those obstacles, what's needed? What 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 more can we do? Um, really, there needs to be a lot of international cooperation. So, and not just on vaccine distribution, but on a coordinated response with respect to debt relief and development spending. And so, the opportunities and the obstacles lie, um, especially with the U.S. and China cooperation on this front. They have a consensus around the need for debt relief, but a great deal of disagreement over what the, the actual terms of those debt restructurings need to look like. Um, so, that's one big hurdle. But also, we see that you know major state powers in the world need to work actively with the private sector. The private sector holds a great deal of debt, and if they don't agree on the terms of debt relief, um, you know basically these policies aren't going to work moving forward. So we're going to see a lot of effort in forums like the G20 to try to come up with plans that involve all the relevant stakeholders. So I think it is a massive collective action problem with lots of different interests and a necessity to come to a consensus and action on a very short time horizon. Yeah, that's great. Patrick, um, what about uh, on the issue of, of climate change? You know, building off of Kate and Will's comments, both maybe about opportunities and challenges that you see. You know, what challenges do you see? And then, and then how do we build off of those to, to leverage some of the opportunities that we have to, to tackle this issue? Yeah, Stephen, really, you could take um, everything that Will said and replace uh, climate with natu- uh, international security and um, 
everything Kate said and replace climate with uh, 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 debt um, because their, their points were pop, spot on. Um, you know, it, it really is going to come down to international cooperation. I think there's a huge opportunity for, um, you know, the U.S. Uh, we have to step back into those leadership roles uh, and, and lead by example. Um, but we also have to establish those, uh, those international relationships. I mean, one of the biggest risks with climate is um, uh, institutional fragmentation. Uh, so we have to think about building those relationships, those multilateral relationships and those multi-level relationships. Um, I think one of the examples with the COVID crisis is, uh, for example, Texas and, and Louisiana shutting their border um, you know, to prevent the spread of, of people across the interstates. Um, similar parallels with the way we're thinking about restricting the vaccine. Um, but it is those types of relationships and those linkages that are going to be critical uh, to adapt, uh, to make the types of adaptive changes, policies, et cetera, that we're going to need with, with climate change. Um, you know, and the other, the other real promising uh, uh, sign is the Biden administration's focus on environmental justice and the way they're really putting justice um, front and center. Uh, and I think that just sort of sets us down a path to address the country's long history of environmental racism. Uh, and opens up, you know, some really necessary, uh, but really promising pathways uh, to addressing social vulnerability um, and helping mitigate uh, risks of climate um, to our most vulnerable communities and populations. That's great. So, Kate, Will, and Patrick, thanks for joining us. I'd love for folks to learn more about your work. Will, where can people find out more about what you're working on at the LBJ School? Sure. Well, you can certainly go to uh, my webpage on the LBJ School website or similar to the um, the research and teaching center that I direct, the Clement Center for National Security, which is clementcenter.org. Uh, I'm afraid I am not on social media, which um, overall is good for my sanity, but also uh, is a detriment for getting, getting word out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you're right about the sanity piece, right? Uh, Kate, what about yourself, my friend? Well, if I ever manage to update my webpage, you might find more information at the LBJ site. As Will said, I also co-direct a lab on a campus here at the University of Texas called Innovations for Peace and Development, and we keep a lot of our research on that. I am on Twitter, um, unfortunately, and my Twitter feed is Kate Weaver UT. Perfect. And Pat, what about you? Where's your work can be found? Yeah, so um, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at, uh, at RPBixler. Um, another interesting spot, especially if you're interested in, in what's happening lo locally and in Austin, uh, we have a, a project that's the Austin Indicators, and we have a website for that, uh, austinindicators.org. Um, you can also find me at the RGK Center website, RGK Center for Philanthropy uh, and Community Service, as well as the OBJ School website. Great. Pat, Kate, uh, Will, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This is Policy on Purpose, a podcast produced by the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. We take you behind the scenes of policy with the people who help shape it. To learn more, visit lbj.utexas.edu and follow us on Twitter or Facebook at the LBJ School. Thank you for listening.